Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 8, and um, uh, Rogers, do you, did, Brother Wayne, did you let him know that I need that PowerPoint? Okay, I'll, I'll get to that in just a minute um, when we get there, it's nothing life or death, but I just thought we'd kind of throw up, not, th no, maybe we wouldn't throw up, uh, boy, you're not with me tonight, are you? You're not paying attention to anything. Uh, let's see here. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11, it says, this is kind of where we stopped, and normally I go back a little bit, but I'm not going to tonight. It says, he, uh, it says in verse 11, And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins. And that's a mighty good thing, isn't it? And their iniquities will I remember no more. Uh, you know, we're going to read a lot more, but, you know, just, I have to just stop along the way a little bit. But it, it's amazing God that, that knows everything, always knows, will always know, but chooses not to remember. And he chooses, the one thing he chooses not to remember is my sin. And that's a, it's just an incredible God. Uh, verse 13, in that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So um, we're just going to begin right there with uh, Hebrews 8, 11 through 13. It says, And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Uh, we're not going to take a, you know, go really in depth on, on any of this because you could just jump in to, uh, in a moment all about the temple and all about that. Uh, we're going to show just a few things about that. But, but I, I believe under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit did not indwell man. And I believe this is where, uh, what God's really uh, the, getting across to us here. Everything had to be taught to the people. You know, that's why the Old Testament, you know, you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament's this thick and the New Testament's this thick. You say, well, what's the, the big difference? Well, one of the big differences is that the Old Testament tells, it gives all this information. Uh, it's filled with instructions and commands. The New Testament has, as we we went through for I don't know, you know, several months, uh, the commands of Christ. But but they they're they're as they're taught through the Gospels, uh, we see the commands of Christ. But the Old Testament is just list upon list upon list at times of of the instructions and commands in the Old Testament. So and that was for a purpose. They did not even they didn't understand what sin was or what was sin. They didn't understand that. They did they didn't comprehend that. Uh, and, and that may be a little bit hard for us to comprehend. But but they didn't. And 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 you know they did not have the word of God available to them the way we have it. And they, they didn't have those things uh, like that. That's why sometimes, you know, be very careful. You know, the Bible will talk about some really good men in the Bible. And, you know, there's all kinds of good men. And, and uh, the Scripture talks about, and it'll talk about them doing certain things. Uh, well, just sort of, you know, David having multiple wives. And, and so then, you know, somehow, you know, God's okay with that. So it must be okay. No, they did not know all that we know. You say, well, surely they did. No, there was no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He came upon them. There was no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then, and then secondly, they, they had some of the words of God. I mean, at times the word of God would be, would sort of, it wouldn't be gone, it, but they wouldn't know where it was. They, they wouldn't know anything about it. 
And so uh, I, I think that's really what God's talking about here. So they, man had to teach man everything. God had to teach man the, the leadership, so to speak. Uh, but, but man pretty much had to teach man everything. Under the new covenant, the spirit of God indwells the believer and the word of God is available to us. And since it is a spiritually written book, uh, it is therefore a spiritually understood book. That means the Holy Spirit leads us into understanding this, the word of God and the Holy Spirit convicts us uh, through the word of God, but also convicts us through, you know, they would call our, our conscience, so to speak, but the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin. We mean, there were things that started to bother me after I got saved that I never read anything uh, through scripture that said it was wrong. I never heard anybody preach say it was wrong, but there was somebody inside of me that was saying it was wrong. And, and, uh, and so initially, we may hear the phrase, know the Lord, as we read in this verse here, it says, and, and, and which is, you initially read that, you, you think, well, sure, that means, uh, you know, to know him as Savior, you know, to, to get saved. Uh, but I believe it means, you know, many people know, uh, many people are saved, but don't know the Lord. And, and I believe the scripture is talking about here, God's people, uh, there's coming a time, God's people will begin to know him uh, but the Spirit of God is in them, and they can know him because his word is spiritually understood. And so as they get into the word of God, they begin to know who he is. And that, that brings me back, you know, a little bit. I, I mentioned, you know, Sunday, uh, you know, of a young preacher saying that, that you know, when, it, when the Bible's talking about the, the, the word of God, he's talking about the, the, the incarnate body of Jesus. He's not talking about the, the Bible. Uh, you, you honestly, you, you cannot separate those two because you don't know who Jesus is without this word. You know nothing about him without the word of God. So, um, and truthfully, this is the mind of Christ that we know of Jesus. This is his mind. And so initially, uh, you know, we may, we may get a little sidetracked, but I believe uh, this can easily mean for the believer to be more than a believer. He can be one who knows him. So what is emphasized and, and wonderful is that the word of God, and this is what it does at, at the very uh, end of that verse, uh, is that it talks about the, the, the least knowing him just, as, just like those that are great. And so the, the word of God makes it clear that no one is, has a better avenue to God than another. The least can know the Lord as well as the greatest. And, and, and again, in our world, we kind of we categorize people and, and we label people and we do all that kind of thing. But God doesn't. God says everybody can know me the same because the same Holy Spirit indwells every believer. So we, hey, when it comes to that, uh, when it comes to knowing the Lord, everybody's on level ground. You say, well, I've got a, I've got 180 IQ. Well, nobody in here does, but... but you know, I got 100, I don't care what you got. The truth is that great IQ may keep you from knowing him like some of us simple people know him. 
Now, verse 12, uh, we'll move on. Verse 12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities, will I remember no more. Under the law, the sin of man was upon that man until the sacrifice was made. But now under grace, the covenant, uh, uh, all of our sins are washed away eternally by the blood of Jesus Christ. And they are not remembered against us for they no longer are on our record. Uh, we have been justified. Now, uh, so I think in simplicity, I believe that's, that's what it's talking about. Now, some, uh, as I you know, kind of study, they'll, they'll say that this, they feel like this is more uh, making application toward the millennial reign, uh, that the passage sometimes is given to apply to the millennial reign when all who are there ruling and reigning with him will know him and their sins and iniquities. It, it, I'll be honest with you. It, this the verse can it can apply. You can you, it makes sense to me both places, both ways. Uh, so uh, truth is, is though, is that it, it's just a wonderful thing under grace, under the uh, the new covenant. Uh, when our sins are washed away, God remembers them no more. And so Hebrews chapter eight verse thirteen says, "In that He saith a new covenant." He hath made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Real simply, God says the new ones come in. Uh, both these words, when it says old and decayeth, those are the same word, uh, original word. So, uh, and they both just basically mean obsolete. And, and so the old covenant was not a bad covenant. It was made obsolete. And so... Uh, so that uh, in the process, it's, it was in a process of becoming obsolete and, and growing old, so to speak. And, and as they, it took, you know, it took a long time. Old covenant was in effect uh, for, for a long, long time until and, and the new covenant came. But, at, but the whole time it was becoming obsolete. Now, it didn't start becoming obsolete. Uh, it didn't wait a long time to start. It started becoming obsolete almost immediately. You know, they said, you know, we'll obey everything, and they immediately started disobeying everything almost. And so um, <clears throat> now go to uh, chapter 12, uh, 12, chapter 12, 12, chapter 9, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, and verse 1. That's really what I was trying to get to. And now this one, it, <clears throat> a lot of this kind of, you know, can be lumped together. But it says, uh, then verily the first covenant, had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Um, so he says, uh, then, then at that time, is the way this is phrased, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. During the first covenant, there were ordinances or method of service and a worldly or earthly. It just means a human, an earthly sanctuary. And God says, you know, uh, at that time, he's just, he's just telling us factually, and, and then uh, there was ordinances, and there was, a, there was a system, and there was a, this arrangement, and it all took place in, in something that was built by the hands of man. Verse 2, he says, For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And so the, uh, uh, the Rogers, if you put it up there, uh, in the outer court before you had ever even come in. Now, it starts off talking about, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but it starts off talking about the tabernacle, not the temple. 
And, and, and truthfully, that's what it talks about the whole time in, in here in Hebrews, really, is the, is the tabernacle. And there, I think there's a couple of reasons about it, and I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but but I think one of the reasons is, is that it, this is when the Old Covenant came into effect was with the tabernacle. And so uh, there the tabernacle is there, and, and you've got the uh, outer courtyard of the tabernacle. You've got the brazen altar. And the brazen altar, of course, they're going to come in and, and offer up uh, these. And let me get to it and make sure. I, uh, the first piece that a worshiper would encounter as he came through the door was the altar. Uh, and I say the door, the door to the outer court. And so it was wood covered with brass or, or copper at that time. It was a perfect square with horns on each of the four corners. It was where the blood sacrifices of clean lambs and goats would be offered in the, uh, in the heat of the fire unto God for atonement, the covering and the forgiveness of sin. So since the brazen altar was first, what it, really what it's there for, the, the brazen altar, and this is what the scripture is going to talk about. It's talking about the Hebrews. The brazen altar tells us that judgment of sin and forgiveness must come first in one's approach to God. And that's what, it, that's what it's picturing is, it's, look, if you're going to come to God, you've got to understand you're a sinner. And that sin's got to be forgiven. That sin's got to be cleansed somehow. And so uh, that's the brazen altar. You go to the next one, and, it, it, and uh, the, black, the brass laver. And so uh, now you come and you have the sins forgiven, and this is where we are. And, and some of our, 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 our folks need to do a little bit more studying about what these things mean because I believe that this one, this is where you wash up. You notice this? You don't wash up before you come to the brazen altar. Sin has to be paid for and forgiven, but watch what the, the implication. Then you wash up. And we've got, we've got this, this belief. It, it, we get the heart, uh, heart before the horse. The, we get the car before the horse. We get, uh, we get the, the wash up, try to clean up, and then we're going to come to, then God will forgive us. No, you got to, you just, so I talked to a guy, probably, it's probably about a month ago, and, and he said, he said, I want to get saved. He came to church here, and he said, he said, I want to. He said, but, but I'm just not ready. Well, what he's saying is, he said, what he's saying is, is I don't think I can clean up right now. Well, and I told him, look, you got to come by faith to Christ. He will do the cleaning up. He will get, well, he will give you the, the wherewithal through the Holy Spirit to clean up. It'll still be up to you whether you do it, but he will give you the power right now in the flesh. You don't have the strength to clean up. And so, uh, so he, uh, but you come and get the, the altar gets sins forgiven. Then you come and live clean. The, and that brings the other thing is that some of them, they have this right. They have the brazen altar, but it's like we've removed the laver. There's no, you know, there's no emphasis on cleaning up. Folks, something ought to happen to us when we get saved. If the Holy Spirit comes in. I don't know about you, but he didn't come into a perfect being. When he came in, I guarantee every one of us, the moment we got saved, I don't care if you got saved five years old, there was something inside of you need to be cleaned up. <clears throat> and so there's a, a, a really problem there. It came after, so the, 
the laver or the, of washing that came after the altar of sacrifice before the entrance of the sanctuary. And it was made of, uh, well, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to go into that a whole lot uh, there. But, but anyway, that's, what, that's kind of procedurally the way it was. So I'm going to go back there. We, that's the outer court. We'll get to, to the other just in a second here. Uh, let me see. I've kind of got this all out of order here. Okay, for there was a tabernacle made. Now, now if you enter into the tabernacle, the first wherein was the candlestick, and you could go to the candlestick, and the table, the table, you've heard of the table of showbread, and <clears throat> which is called uh, the sanctuary. And so you, you come and go back to the candlestick, you come into the candlestick, so now you've come, you've come and you've, you, you want to clean up your life, you, you understand that, that the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, you understand that the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit will convict you of right and wrong and teach you of uh, what uh, things are right and wrong in your life and, and, and we don't become perfect, but boy, we ought to at least be, something ought to be changing about us. And so, and then that leads us to the candlestick and and you know the truth is is that that candlestick is is going to shine a lot of light on everything that's going on and so uh, there was no light in in the uh, inside the uh, the tabernacle except for that candlestick you got inside there no skins it had been a pretty dark place but now you have the candlestick the golden lampstand uh, on the south side of the holy place stood the pure golden lampstand. The gold was formed in the shape of an almond tree in full bloom of life. Uh, uh, they beat it and hammered it. It had six fruitful branches with a central shaft or trunk. trunk. They were designed to hold seven bowls filled with the olive oil uh, to provide light. And so <clears throat> John chapter 1 presents the one, Christ, Jesus, as both light and life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He alone is God in the flesh, gives life eternal, and the light to understand and to know him. And so Jesus, it's, it's, it's so many facets on, on this one, but Jesus is that light uh, for our salvation, but then he also lights the, our direction and our life and, and in our instructions. And so... Um, Anyway, again, uh, I'm not going to go into a, a lot of detail on that, but that's, that's where we are, and that's entering into the tabernacle itself, and that's what, uh, we are, where we're at here in Hebrews is entering into the tabernacle. And so um, then, so we said, for there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Now, God, for some reason, uses the tabernacle rather than the temple for comparison. I said I was going to get there. But I believe it's one because the tabernacle was made under the first covenant and inside the tabernacle were the candlestick and the table of showbread. I believe that's, that's what was in existence when the covenant came into to effect. Uh, I believe, and we'll get to it in, in probably later tonight if I get to it, but uh, another reason I'll tell you in, in a few minutes. But verse 3, it says, After the second veil... I, oh, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm getting, again, go to the show, table of showbread and, uh, and really, you know, give different opinions on this. But, you know, the Lord had his table. The Lord broke bread. And that was a time of fellowship together. And, uh, and I believe God, he shines a light toward him. It, Jesus is the light of salvation. That light shines uh, where we are to go. But we don't have to go alone. We fellowship with him through this life. You know, it's a great journey if you're with Jesus while you're walking. 
And so, and I'm making, again, making this, I'm going through it really fast and, and oversimplistic, but, but, uh, but that's what I believe. And then verse 3, it says, And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot speak particularly. And that, even in that, it's amazing. The tabernacle and its rituals are called a shadow of good things to come. And, and the, that good thing to come was going to be salvation in Christ, the perfect sacrifice. And all of this, uh, that we're, as we're coming through the tabernacle, this is all... This is all a picture to, to lead us uh, to salvation, Jesus Christ. But sadly, many still focus on religious rituals rather than on receiving the reality. You know, even the fact that, you know, in, in Israel, a lot of talk about you know, building the temple, rebuilding the temple, and going through all the That's gone. That worship is gone. We just read about it. It's decayeth. It's obsolete. So they're going to be entering. Yeah, they're going to be doing exactly what God said they're going to do, but, but, it's, but it's not what. You know, there's so many things, and as I, as I said you know, a few minutes ago, there's a lot of things stated in the Bible are not necessarily what God wants. They're just stated fact. And, and sometimes we get so confused and think, oh, well, you know, this is what they did, so it must be okay. The fact that it's stated that they did it is just a fact. You've got to research through Scripture and find out if it was right what they were doing. You say, well, God didn't judge them. You don't know what God did. He didn't write down everything he did. And, and look, there's a lot of people do a lot of things now that we don't see the judgment. That We do a lot of things right now that you don't see the judgment of. Uh, you know, it's, but honestly, it, it, it's, it will come. So it's true, it is though, so many times, though, it seems like a man, it's, it's like a man would rather marry a picture of a woman rather than the woman. Let, we got so much better than the picture, we've got the real thing. We've got Jesus. And so, um, all right, and, and now... We're going to go on to the, uh, and I, I think I can do this now. Uh, the, the table of showbread, and I talked about that a little bit. During the week, uh, the bread was displayed. There was 12 loaves of bread that were set on it once a week. During the week, the bread was displayed before God. On the Sabbath, the priests were to eat it. Thus, God and man shared the same table together in fellowship with the same bread. Then, then um, of course, you have the golden altar of incense you can go up that next one there brother golden altar of incense now this altar was one one purpose only the incense not sacrifice and i think everybody agrees on that that's that's offering up our prayers and worship to god it's a sweet smell to god you know this symbolizes that you know I can't smell. I mean, I, I, I can stink, but I can't smell. But, the, uh, but I can't really smell anything. We, we, Mike, we walked into a place today, and Mike immediately said, oh, I smell that. And I'm like, I don't smell anything. 
Uh, it's, it's a great thing. It saves me a whole lot on perfume. And so, because uh, uh, I never think about getting any because all that does is make me sneeze. But now, but, but those of you, some of you can smell really well, right? Anybody here, you really got a strong sense of smell? Anybody here, you got something that just, you love that smell? Yeah. My wife, I, I, I have no idea what it smells like, but, you know, she loves the smell of, you know, the Christmas trees and all that kind of stuff. So I went and got one of those, uh, what are those candles called? Yeah, I can't remember. It was, but, it, you know, it was balsam fir or something like that, you know. It's because I wanted to be able to smell the, the, the dead tree in our house. And so uh, <laughs> you'll just be able to s- smell that. I, I, I have no idea what it smells like. Oh, and she'll just say, oh, it smells so good. Can you imagine? That's what God's trying to picture to us. He's trying to say, look, when you, when you talk to me, when you praise me, when you worship me, smells so good. It just smells so good. It, I think sometimes we don't grasp what it, how we affect God. But we do. Apparently, God has a pretty strong sense of smell. Because I think sometimes we stink to God. But here it says, just offer up to me, praise me, worship me, pray to me. And when you do, God says, oh, wow, that is so good. And, of course, the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle was divided inside was divided a curtain there with that curtain which when Jesus was crucified would be rent in two in the temple the same same curtain but you have of course the ark of covenant and the mercy seat and and way I understand it uh, the it's really two pieces of furniture this name that the mercy seat fits upon the ark of the covenant and so the top part of that is the mercy seat that we would call it. The bottom part of that, it's, it would be the Ark of the Covenant. And now, inside of those things, that's, that's all the power and the magnificence of God. You know, it says in there that you got the tables of stone. I'll be done on this. The tables of stone, that's God's word. And wait a minute, remember who the, the word is? It's got the Aaron's rod that budded. Well, you know what that? Can you, that's a pretty incredible God that can take a dead stick. And it buds, and not only buds, but it bears fruit. That's the miraculous power of God. And so you, 
You've got the tables of stone, the word of God, and you've got the rod that butted the power of God, and then you've got the manna. And that God sells us through all of history of man, I will provide. That's the provision of God. So when you walk in there, this is all about who he is. His greatness, his omnipotence, his omniscient, his power, his provision, and his perfect word. And so that's what Hebrews is talking about. He's saying that was all a picture. That was all a parable of what was going to come. And that's where we're moving into it. I'm not getting into it, going to make it to it tonight, but that's where we're going. That was all a wonderful, beautiful picture, but now the real deal is here. And so, well, I won't take any more time tonight. Um, we'll just wait for Brother Allen to come pray for us. <laughs> well, Hopper, you want to close us in prayer? Let's stand, if you would, please. Father, thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for the picture that we saw tonight, Lord.